Hey folks, and welcome to the Digital Crypto Podcast. Today, I'd like to welcome you to this awesome interview that I have with Emily Coleman, Chief Marketing Officer of Shapeshift.io. It was very, very cool. We're very simpatico on a lot of the things within this space that need to be addressed, namely increasing user experience as well as using marketing to tell the story of Bitcoin to increase adoption. So I think you're really, really gonna enjoy this one. I was very jazzed up for it. I'm very happy with the way that it turned out. But first, can you do me a favor? Go over to iTunes, leave five stars and a written review. It really, really helps get the podcast out there. If you also wanna help out a little bit more, head over to digitalcrypto.com, click on any of our banners or shop through with Amazon, like and share us on all the social media platforms, and that's really the best way to help us out. So I'd like to thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Did You Know Crypto podcast. Today, I'm very happy to welcome Emily Coleman, Chief Marketing Officer for Shapeshift. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And you started working for uh, Shapeshift, I was reading, it was in 2014, correct? That's correct. At the end of 2014 is when I met Eric, our CEO, and started, got into the crypto world at that point. What were you uh, doing before all of this, before you kind of, you know, met Eric, got into the crypto space? You know, what what was your background before it? Um, my background is nothing related. Um, it is hospitality, tourism, food and beverage marketing. That was what I had done um, before graduating from school. Leading into that, that was kind of where I, I felt like my marketing passions were going to be lying and, um, but I, I kept feeling like I was hitting a wall with it where it wasn't engaging me at some point. It got really monotonous. Like if I was doing marketing, for instance, I was doing marketing for a ski resort for a few years and the first like two years were exciting. I was getting to go to all these events and do these things and figuring out how we remarket and find, you know, the different customer segments. And especially this was the beginning of like social media being like highly utilized and, video content, different forms of content. And it was exciting, but then it would get just monotonous. The same festivals, the same events, the same this, same that. And I would end up leaving jobs when I hit that monotony. And I wanted to find something that I felt like could be a bit more of a passion that I would be learning consistently from. Uh, where were you? Uh, just to just side note, what, uh, what ski resorts and area were you working in? Uh, I was over in southwestern Colorado um, in a little town called Telluride. People know it okay. for, no, there's familiar. tons of festivals, music, uh, the Telluride Film Festival is a huge uh, international festival. So a lot of people have heard the name of it, but it's very, very tucked away, uh, about 2,000 people. So was there for a few years and that's where I met Eric. Yeah, what's what's a roll right into that? So was uh, Eric and and meeting him, was that kind of your first you know, foray into Bitcoin or had you heard about it before that? I hadn't heard about it before. You know, I, one of the things with being in mountain towns, you know, they, they call it La La Land for a reason. You, you kind of get out of the general uh, global news circuit quite a bit because you're just so engrossed in your small town news. Um, not to mention the fact sometimes the internet would get cut out by snowstorms. So you really are actually disconnected in every way possible. So I hadn't really known a ton about it. I think it had probably, you know, I, I listened to the news, of course, and I, 
I think it probably got mentioned a few times, but it still wasn't a big enough thing for it to have hit my brain. And I also didn't come from any sort of financial background or, you know, there's the, the people that you meet that it instantly made sense to them. They come from very specific uh, backgrounds and segments from fintech, finance, humanitarian efforts, those kind of things where they see the solutions instantly and hospitality tourism, it just wasn't, you know, it's, it wasn't something that hit my, my head. So, um, but yeah, I, so when I met Eric, I didn't know anything about it. I actually had been, there's um, an incubator out in Telluride and I had been a little work for them. I'd also gotten a job working for a startup that, uh, a tech startup that didn't last long. I think that we, we were working for about uh, six months total and then kind of crashed and burned and, um, and it was a good experience though, for me to realize, like, I, I think that that kind of startup tech environment was something that was really engaging for me. So then I had a friend that, um, had met Eric and Eric was looking for someone to do marketing and, and, um, he had relocated to Telluride, had been there for a few months and had started Shapeshift and had run into my friend and just said, I can't find any good marketers. I don't really know who I, who I could utilize within this town. And, he called me and he said, there's this guy, Eric Voorhees, he wants to meet you. Uh, he thinks you would be a good fit for this position and he wants to meet you tomorrow morning. So you should just go meet him. But like tonight, go do some research about this thing called Bitcoin so you can prep yourself for the interview. So that was kind of <laughs> my foray. And it was, I, I'm, I always, you know, everyone always goes, oh, I'm a fast learner. I'm going to be great. And that was in my head. Um, and then I, I sat down that night and I opened my computer and I remember Googling it and just being like, should I cancel? Why would I go? This is going to be awful. He's <laughs> going to think I'm the biggest idiot. And it ended up being, you know, the best decision of my life was to be terrified and to spend all night studying. And I think for me too, I'm very thankful to Eric because he was very kind. Um, and he sat with me and he didn't make me feel stupid. And um, I, I look back on that conversation and have, I can remember it so clearly of how many, how much time he took for me to understand. And it, it's been, a big impact on how I've also educated and helped people um, as I've moved forward in my career. That's funny that you, you talk about the uh, insular, you know, insular of a mountain town. Cause that, that's kind of my background as well. I, I grew up in Alaska in a little tiny town. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of the same thing where I, I remember like when we come visit our, our cousins down in the, in the continental U S as we called it, the lower 48, um, you know, they'd always joke and ask, you know, if, if vanilla ice had gotten there yet or whatever, um, but, but <laughs> you're like vanilla. But, who? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. We just got, we just got this rock and roll stuff, but yeah, so we, <laughs> it's, it is, it's, it's interesting too. And um, I am familiar with that, uh, that, you know, not, not just a mountain town, but kind of in, in especially tourism areas, you kind of get sucked in, um, it's such a whirlwind constantly mm -hmm. in those in those in those tourist towns of there there's always constantly this or that going on with the yeah rest and of the I think you know people go there to vacation, so they're not going to sit down and ha want to have a conversation about you know the the hardships of the world at that moment. They just want to go to relax. So even you know when outsiders come in, you get a whole new influx of humans from all over the world coming into these resort towns mm -hmm. every week, and all they want to do is relax. so you know, the, these hard hitting things are not going to get put into your, your conversation on a day-to-day -day basis. So, uh, you know, what, why don't we talk about Shapeshift, you know, what, sure. what is Shapeshift, you know, what service do they provide? Um, and, you know, just give us a good overview of what the company is and, and what they do. 
Yeah, so Shapeshift uh, was founded in about August of 2014 by Eric Voorhees, uh, who is a serial entrepreneur within the Bitcoin cryptocurrency space. And um, the whole idea behind it was to simplify the process of buying and selling cryptocurrency. So essentially, we are an exchange. Um, we allow you to go from we are, we don't have any fiat on and off board, though. Um, you know, we've started to kind of play around the, with the idea of that. But we um, are strictly crypto to crypto. So Bitcoin to Litecoin, Litecoin to Ethereum. We we have about 70 different digital assets you can exchange between. Um, and it's supposed to be a more seamless way. You know, you go to traditional order book exchanges and you have to have a bit of a financial background to understand how all of that functions and how you put up your orders. So we wanted to simplify that entire process. So um, that is essentially what we started out as. And then um, over time, we also then launched CoinCap, which is a market data website. So it allows you to keep with all, up with all your cryptocurrency data, 24-hour um, market history, things like that. We have a mobile app as well. We were the first multi-coin mobile app um, to allow people to, to see their data. We have Altfolio history for that, a bunch of other little things with our apps. Um, and then we also... We acquired Keepy, which is a cold storage hardware wallet um, service that we acquired, I think, back in 2017 at this point. Um, and so we've had those guys for a few years. Uh, we're actually really excited because we are in kind. We're about to launch an MVP for a new product because we we've, we've done a lot of thinking in the last uh, probably year and a half of what do people actually need in this this journey that this industry is in right now. And everyone was kind of piecemealing, especially in the ICO boom, different things, different solutions. Everything was very dispersed. And I actually saw a really funny tweet the other day that some guy put out um, about, you know, that basically like what's in your crypto portfolio? Like imagine a world in which instead of using one credit card, you use an asset to do everything. And just kind of playing on that idea, there were so many projects and so many solutions how do we find the pain points of what our customers actually need and put it in one spot? And that's something that we've been doing a lot of thought about. And I can't quite talk about this project um, because we kind of have it uh, as Shapeshift likes to do. We'd like to keep it on the DL. Um, but we will be releasing MVP here pretty soon, allowing people to get into private beta for this, this new offering that we hope will help solidify everyone's fintech um, crypto journey as far as storage and exchanging and, and putting all the features in one spot. What, um, with, with, uh, you know, Eric, uh, you know, he's an old school Bitcoiner mm -hmm. and, you know, he was a libertarian activist, you know, for that, uh, for a long time before that as well. How is, you know, how has he, his, you know, specific leadership style kind of shaped the way that the company operates? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question because I, I think as the marketing and PR person, there there are moments where, um, you know, I we've had a lot of talks about you know his ideology and who he is as a human is an incredibly important and a nascent new space, and so with that transparency has been key for us. Anytime we've had like big announcements, we've had to make, you know, we I I'm very happy to have a boss that's like, well, transparency is what this is about. Um, we can't continue to move forward without continuing to, to live with our customers and the world that way. So, um, you know, he, we have a lot of talks about, you know, ideologically what is really important to him and, and it bleeds into our, our employees. So I think when you have an industry that is this new, uh, a lot of the employees that you're bringing in 
they have to have the passion. You know, you get into older markets and, and you know, you'll, I go to Silicon Valley quite a bit. I'm in a lot of these tech markets because that's where we're going to conferences and events. That's where a lot of my friends live now. And when you sit down with some of them, it, it is a job, you know, it's not, it's like, it's a job. I, I like tech. It's great, but it's not necessarily their passion because they didn't get to live through the beginning of it. And I think, you know, there's, you don't want to lose your soul. And, and I think that there's so much soul and there's so much life in this industry. And also it hits so many different global economic and social issues that especially living in the United States, um, and a lot of our employees being here in, in Denver, they, you can't, you can't understand that until you've been able to really involve yourself in this, this global world. And Eric, I think that is such a driver for him and you see his passion and everything he does. Do we need to make money because we're a company? Absolutely. But is it also about the impact we're making on the world and creating, um, you know, this, this, free financial system. This is something that we've talked a lot about as we've been kind of making sure that we are solidifying what is our mission as a company? What is our vision? And it really, like when you, when we go into it, it is Eric as a person, like our, our vision that we released was vision as a borderless financial system built on open decentralized protocols. These, you know, this whole idea of this borderless world is so important to him. And I think it, it continually inspires us even through the hard times. And there's a lot, there's, there's barriers to working in a high tech industry. There's a lot. There's going to be barriers to how you can function as a business because you have this this um, this kind of collision of uh, your ideological needs and the business needs. And how do you merge those together? And I know that that's been something that Eric and I, you know, he's continued to inspire me. And I know our employees. I talk a lot to not only my employees but like the engineers. The engineers are there because they're like look at this amazing stuff we get to build and we get to do it with this guy. They were, they so highly respect him and we all do. Um, and I, and I think that's been really inspiring to me because, um, you know, we, we have a leader that is well-respected and he's very thoughtful in the things that are important to him. Um, and sometimes it has kind of some of its, you know, it's downsides or it's good and bad to that. But I think that's how you, um, when you're working in tech that's changing the world, you kind of need a leader like that, um, or you're just making another product. Yeah, you mentioned uh, your transparency being important. I think that's that's really you know important as well. I mean, I saw that you guys had released. Um, uh, I, I can't remember how long ago it was. Uh, the amount of requests by law enforcement. Uh, for information mm -hmm. on users, and, and I think you really hit you know the nail on the head with that because our, our culture. When you look at the way that the culture is moving, um, I think it's moving towards one that rewards, uh, you know, transparency, transparency and openness. And I think that that, that corporate brands is, is going to go in the same direction as that, like personal brands have, like we've seen with you know social media types, um, where that personal yeah. brand, when they when they trade, you know, their you know pieces of their reputation for either pride of not wanting to show their failings or or you know those sort of things, those are the people that end up disappearing. And I think that the corporate branding is going to fall the, or the, the corporations that understand this shift in culture and move in that direction are going to be the ones that, that win in the end. I, I agree a hundred percent. And, you know, we do, my team does a lot of, um, you know, user segment studies and, you know, identifying where, you know, what, what, what is our larger generation we're hitting 
Um, and it is millennials. And there's a lot of studies talking about that millennials, they have to feel their soul behind the things they're using. It's why Uber and Lyft, you get a lot of people who are like, I'm not going to use Uber anymore because this happened or that happened. And Lyft is the, you know, seen as it's the smaller company, but you know, I've heard, I actually heard their CEO talk at a conference last year. And then I started kind of looking at these, um, these, what were disruptive tech industries um, and how has, how has the, how have they had to present themselves so people want to use them? And for the generation that's using them most, it is, are we good people underneath? Are we trying to change the world in a certain way? And um, I think that that's something we, we talk a whole lot about as we're building out um, what is it that we believe as a company and what is important to us at the end of the day, because if we can't hit people's soul and the emotions that drive them, they don't care. They're not going to care to learn, especially you have to think about within the cryptocurrency world. We have the people who have, as the term goes, fallen down the rabbit hole and it's become their job. And partly why they get to learn so much is it's their job to learn. I feel very privileged that it is my job every day to learn more and more about this stuff and to have conversations. Now, on the flip side of that, the customer segment that you know we really want to pull that that more kind of early majority adopters, because we're kind of in the early adopter segment, but they're not getting to necessarily have all the time all day long to research this stuff, but we need to, to figure out a way to allow them to feel the emotion and the soul behind all the things it can solve, not for them necessarily, but for people around the world that are suffering. Um, when you're talking about product specific, we are a financial platform that allows people to exchange cryptocurrencies. How do we still engage with these people so that they can feel the passion behind this to want to support our brand. And a lot of times that comes also from having a good, strong leader that has is well-spoken and really feels what they believe versus like assuming what they need to say to get people to believe that they believe this thing that they may or may not, if that makes sense. No, no, it absolutely does. I, 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 I heartily agree. Uh, it's you know, one of the things that really drew me and because you know, everyone has a very similar story, especially if it was, you know, pre-2017 when they got into this space, it was, you know, first time they heard about it, it was, you know, yeah, this is, you know, goofy, it's going to get, you know, hacked and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And then, you know, there's always that funny moment, right, where where you kind of start reading about it and it, and it finally clicks, you know, enough clicks where you go like, oh, you know, you kind of realize a little bit of the potential. And it seems like this space and is kind of um it's it's really weird in that it in in a good way um it produces you know zealots and i guess if it for lack of a better term it's got bad connotations but it's really not i think that that sort of uh mindset is what's necessary for any kind of broader social movement to have any kind of Mm -hmm. any kind of traction you have to have people that are you know, so passionate about this, that they, this is what they want to do with their life because they believe in the, in the, in the higher ideals behind, uh, you know, what they're doing. And, and of course, especially, or not especially, but when you are running a company, you're responsible for other people and, and, you know, the health of the company, you know, profit is necessary because if it's not, then, then, then it's not going to work. But, you know, without that foundation, then it ends up being kind of like, it ends up being like working in a restaurant where it's like you have no 
skin in the game and you don't have any kind of, I mean, nobody has any ideological buy-in um, to when they're working at Applebee's. It's not anything that they're, that they're dedicating <laughs> their lives towards. Um, but I'd like to meet that person if they exist and, and understand that. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I, I can't see, you know, you, you, and that's the thing I think that was, was interesting for me because I was, uh, I think 26 or seven when I started with Shapeshift and I had only had these jobs that it was fun. Like I'm a very creative person and it was always fun to create, do creative campaigns and, and utilize all these new kind of content platforms like video and social media and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, like what was it feeding my soul? And it, and it wasn't feeding much. So my skin wasn't in the game, even though I was having a good time. And that's what I was missing from my life. And I always tell when we have new employees going through the interview process, I'm like, if they're like, so like, what do you think my biggest pain point is going to be? And I'm like, this is going to be really hard. You're going to have times where you're like, oh my gosh, how are we going to move into tomorrow? And then you're going to wake up and something's going to happen. You're going to read something in the news. You're, you're going to, to have an epiphany about what we're building with these products. And you're going to be able to jump back into it because I've been doing this. I've been going through that cycle for four years now. And I still don't have a moment where I'm like, I'm done. Like, I, I can't do this anymore because it's, I, I feel it too much. It's too much of like what I feel in, in my day-to-day soul. <laughs> And I've never felt like that in a job. I've never felt like I, I, you know, I, I felt like I was always making differences in ways, but, but not really, not, not the way that this feels. And again, it goes past, I think to a key to this for employees that are either, I had a lot of people who reach out to me and say, I'm thinking about jumping in full time. I've just been kind of dabbling or I'm interested in what do you think? And I'm like, it's going to, a reminder, it's going to be really hard. You have to put a lot of time into learning but the reward of feeling like what you're contributing over time, um, what is your legacy? What do you want your, your legacy to look like? Because I think that's an important question to ask. And it's not selfish to ask that. It's not selfish to want to feel like you're contributing to the world in a bigger way than just clocking in and out every day. No, absolutely. And, and um, I think that's one of the, one of the things that I, I, I overlooked earlier in my life was the importance of, um, you know, I guess, uh, happiness in what you're doing mm-hmm. versus kind of, you know, most of us grew up in a, with, with, in a generation where parents, you know, they, they probably didn't, weren't passionate about. That's a very new concept, I think. And I think it's very millennial yes. specific of this idea of, you know, find your passion, right? Because it is cliched in a way the, you know, you never have to work a day in your life. I don't find that even if you have a passion, you're going to be doing work, right? If you're not doing work, you're, you're you, I, I guess if you're not working, then you're not going to have a successful passion, I guess. But um, yeah. yeah, I think that, exactly. that that's really important because I think it's really overlooked in, in verses that, you know, just your mental and your, your mental and, in, 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 you know, in turn, your physical health um, is, is, is very much affected by you, what, how you feel about what you're doing, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. And if you're working 10 yeah. hours a day, five days a week, at something that you despise or 12 or 14 hours, whatever. I mean, that, that's a, that's a tough, tough, um, um, road to hoe there, but, um, with rolling over into, into marketing, cause that, it, you know, that has been your world for, for a very long time. Um, what, you know, before we go into how it, pertain specifically in this space to you 
you know, what is marketing? What is its role in this world? And, and you know, what does it mean to you? Um, I think it's incredibly important for tech. And, you know, there's, because I came from a, a different type of world into the tech space, I, I remember doing a lot of research about, like, what is marketing's role within tech, especially high tech, new emerging tech. And typically in that startup world, um, it gets left out. And I think that um, it's so incredibly crucial and important to you building a brand that people learn to trust and they learn, they can't really learn to understand the technology without having your communicators and your storytellers. And um, so I, I've been talking a lot about that lately because when we first started, it, it was about, you know, just trying to get our brand out there. And it was a lot more about that visual aspect of things. And then as it started to evolve and we went from, you know, you've got your, one of, one of my fa my favorite books that I, I just have been rereading is Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey A. Moore. Um, I have devoured this thing because it, it, it was written back in the eighties. Um, but it has been updated several times. And he talks about in these high tech industries, these chasm, the, this chasm that you have to, to cross and you have this like innovator sec segment of people. And that's like where we, where we were. When I met Eric, that was the people that existed there were those innovators and they were very much like ideologically driven. They could see this vision. There was a lot of very technical people involved here and it was a no brainer to them. Um, I interviewed Andreas Antonopoulos just uh, back in December at Latin American Bitcoin conference. And I was asking him like, what made you have this obsession with this technology? And he started talking about the code and he got really emotional talking about it. And he made a joke about it. He goes, I can't believe this is making me so emotional. And it is one of those things where that, that is actually really impactful to understand how those people first latched onto it. But as we move forward, if the goal is for widespread adoption and larger use, we have to be better at telling our stories as an industry and communicating. And it, and it can't be just about the verbal communication. It also has to be about that visual journey and that user experience. So that's kind of where I've been living. Like, okay, we just had this big bubble burst and everyone's like, kind of like, what do we do next? Where do we go? And what I noticed actually being in um, Prague for DevCon back in October, November, um, there, you know, that's a very technical conference, but all the engineers were, were sitting there going, well, I mean, we've been working really hard. Like what's going on? Like, why aren't we going? And the conversation started pivoting to just talking about the technological solutions or what the Ethereum foundation is doing, doing next or Vitalik, this and that too. Okay, here's the deal, guys. We have to create a better user experience. We need to all start working on building out these UX and UI teams. We need to also start on, you know, like marketing and messaging and how we actually make sure that the narrative is properly communicated uh, to the world. And and it not not and also like determining better who our customer groups are, so that instead of us just scattershotting messaging, we're messaging to the people that want to learn. Um, but we have to simplify it, and I think that's the biggest part of this. Is that um, that was a there's a very typical case study that happened with Apple right before Steve Jobs left the first time, where they came out with that. I think it was the Linda computer, and the ads were like 
just crazy full of just technical jargon and it flops and it, it just, there was, it, there wasn't a big enough, there was an excited audience, but it wasn't big enough to, to make them more widespread. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, down the line, all of a sudden you had this whole tagline of think big. And that whole idea was let's simplify the messaging. Let's simplify everything, show the beauty of these products show just what the customer needs, not what we think is cool. Um, and so I think marketing and getting really good marketers in the space and starting to trying to attract them and, and making sure that they understand how cool this could be to be in this industry and to be part of it and taking the skills they've had from other industries in is really important. Um, that is like one of my, I, I've realized in the last like few months that has become my mission like as one of the marketers that has been in here for a few years, I've it, I've taken it on as like, you know, I almost feel like I need to do a, a roll call, like all marketers in the world, please come talk to me. I want to talk to you and talk to you about how important this is. And, and also business owners, you need these people here. This is how we move into this next realm of customer segments and we get ourselves out of this downtime. Yeah, I, I, I love the concept of, of storytelling because one of the best pieces of advice I'd, I'd ever listened to um, was uh, a podcast that I've been listening to over a long time. And, and the guy, he'd done, you know, created a bunch of businesses over the years. And, and uh, then he created a you know, successful podcast, you know, from starting off just recording in his car up to, you know, a hundred thousand listeners and um, you know, daily download type stuff and, and very successful. And what he always said is it was that it did not matter what you are doing, whether you are trying to start a business, uh, whether you're a farmer, whether you are, you know, tr uh, trying to be a lawyer or whatever, you know, whatever your uh, field that you're in is that you're not selling a product or yourself, right? You're selling a story. And it's, mm -hmm. it's that story is what people buy. Because when, you know, um, if you're, if you're, if, if you're selling eggs out of your house, uh, and there's a bunch of other people selling eggs in the local area. Um, and, you know, everyone's, you know, yours looks just the same as theirs. Like, you know, I'm selling mine for two fifty a dozen, you know, they're free range, organic, whatever. And, and uh, you look the same as everybody else. And you're just hoping that they click on you versus the other guy. But if you tell exactly. a story and if you make them feel like they have like, an, you know, in that short moment, if you're, if you do it well, and they get that emotional buy-in um, right from the beginning, then they're they're going to be much more likely to go with what you're selling versus what somebody else is selling. And I, I think that you know the story of of Bitcoin was very early on. It the code was the story, right? And that was what drew um, those those people who who are attracted to that sort of story, the developers, right? And then um, mm -hmm. after that, it was you know not so much the developers as much as you know, it was, it was more libertarian, um, I think, it, it, especially in the early days. And that's what that story that drew people in was kind of like this idea of censorship resistant money, um, well, you know, something that could replace central banks. And that kind of, you know, shifted also as well to other people that cared about the idea of, of you know, governments not being able to inflate this currency, right? And, and not destroying their economies. Um, by by having the power to inflate that to their own whims, And, you know, that was one part of the story. But then to mm -hmm. your point, you know, the question is, what is the next story? You know, what is the story that we need to tell to to get, 
you know, a, you know, a larger segment of the population because that story to get buy-in from even just 10% of the population, it, you know, to, to be really passionate about this um, would be huge. But to get 10%, you're not going to do it based on code and you're not going to necessarily do it based on politics per se. Um, and that's what I'm, I've been trying to figure out too, is, you know, what, what story um, is it that we're, that we're going to try and tell? Hey folks, I hope that you're enjoying this episode as much as we are. I don't have any sponsors, so if you could go over to supportmypodcast.com, you'll see all the different ways that you can support the podcast from Amazon links to a bunch of other stuff. You could back us on Bitback or with crypto, but most of all, if you can go to iTunes and leave a five-star and a written review, it'd be very, very helpful. So thanks again and enjoy the rest of the show. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think it's, you know, I my light bulb moment with deciding to either continue to truck along, because to be quite honest, when I met Eric and then he was like, hey, do you want this job? I sat there and I went, ah, oh, well, you know, I've been... I've been working all these jobs right now and I'm trying to figure out what I want to do next. I might as well just see what happens here. And, you know, if I get into this a few months and it's not a thing, then I'll just do whatever. And that was my mindset because I didn't quite get it yet. It hadn't clicked with me. And then months were passing by and we ended up relocating to be with a good portion of our engineers, both of us from, from Telluride. Um, start doing a bit of traveling, going to conferences. And then I went down to the Latin American Bitcoin conference that year, which was in Mexico City. And I started having conversations with, um, you know, the the Latin American audience down there. And these were a bunch of very passionate people who had been in the space for a while, Argentinians, Venezuelans, Colombians, uh, Mexicans, like all, all across the board. And as I started to hear their reasoning for wanting to be part of this ecosystem, it their stories, even though it wasn't necessarily related to their products, everyone was still trying to figure out what products should be living. I mean, there were there weren't many at that point, but the stories that I was hearing from these people of what impacted them to even to be involved. I am an Amer- a United States citizen. From you know, I I grew up in a family that had things. I, I didn't ever have to 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 ask for things. I had a very loving, wonderful environment I grew up in um, that where, you know, all in all, the government worked. It was fine. It didn't affect me day to day. These people come from very different backgrounds and being able to hear their stories and why it clicked for them as a, you know, monetary system and a way to protect themselves and have this, you know, this free, create this freedom for themselves. I was like, my mind was blown. And that story is why I am here still. And, And it's why even the the weeks when we're going through really, really hard um, periods of time that I'm like, I'm going to keep pushing because I want to be here and I want to make an impact. And I see it being able to be done this way. So how do we do that on a company basis? How do we create that for your products, for your brands? Um, and, and I think that, you know, you going, me going back to you asking me the question about Eric, for those of us that are lucky to have very strong leaders that have been in the space for a while and have been able to create their own personal brand, that's an extra level of this that's very, very beneficial for us. Um, and the fact that part of his identity has been pulled through who we are as a company and who our employees are that are attracted to work for us, that helps as well. Um, but then we also have to figure out, you know, where's our impact lie as a company? What's important for us to provide to? And um, I know that we were going to get into 
that the project we're about to release here in a minute, but that was one of the things as I started thinking a lot about like stories are so important. Um, and I think leveraging that as an industry, there are so many interesting people that come from different backgrounds that have really jumped into this and from very lucrative careers in other industries because they want, they've been able to find how it could be a solution. And now they're all dedicating their lives to this. And I think that that's an important thing that we need to really showcase. Yeah, I, I think um, uh, I've mentioned this on a, on a different interview as well, but there was a, uh, I think it's on AMC, the show Halt, Catch Fire, and it was about the early days of PC and then internet. And it, you know, it's it's a fictional story, right? But it kind of goes along with probably somewhat with what uh, a lot of the stories uh, were very similar to a lot of people in the early days. And it, it is interesting to go back because, you know, it was in the days when nobody had a computer in their home. It was kind of considered a business, you know, only thing. And then, and, and then when you see the kind of passion that these characters have, and then especially when the internet started to come and you can see through their acting, like them having those same aha moments, right. Of like, this is going to be, big right and at that time the internet was nothing but probably you know 100 different computers spread across the country but i i mm-hmm. feel the same way about this space is that we're we're in that phase of you know where people kind of think that this is kind of a you know maybe at best you know the vast majority population have heard about bitcoin but for the most part they think it's a, maybe it's an interesting niche and you know it's it, it's never going to catch on um but I, I think that everybody, the reason it catches people is is one, those that that aha moment, right, where you see where it can change the world. And then you understand, you know, how big this this is going to be, you know, in the coming decades. And and I think that's a, a real, you know, it, you know, it's 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 a kind of hope personified. Right. Um, whereas, you know, you can kind of see this this hope for a greater future and a hope for a more. Uh, you know, transparent and and decentralized and and uh, I guess you could say fair, uh, fairer future, yeah. um, especially mm-hmm. within the financial um, sector. And I, I think that that hope is, you know, kind of what a lot of people latch on to. But when you were mentioning the the product that you guys are going to release, why don't we why don't we talk about that? Yeah. So we, you know, part of this next phase for where we started having conversations, especially 2017 was so crazy. Um, and, you know, for, for any listener that is just now starting to kind of dive into what I'm referring to, um, it, I like to say it's the year I lost um, a good portion of my life. Um, I feel like everyone was working insane hours. You had this like crypto just oh, that was actually, it's, it's strange because looking back on it from a marketing perspective, um, I, I love Nathaniel Popper's book, Digital Gold, because he, that is actually to me like the OG storytelling that we've been able to, uh, that has been successfully created so far about this industry. So I like highly recommend that book to people because it tells a story. Um, but he talks about, you know, there was, there were several periods where the reason the term Bitcoin or cryptocurrency started to kind of be able to make itself into the news was based on some of these ups and downs. And that was kind of the same thing with um, the ICO boom of 2017, where you had all of a sudden all these companies are like, oh my gosh, this is how we can crowdfund. Or there were some scams involved. There's all these like kind of, you know, big news items that was being picked up by huge outlets that all of a sudden cryptocurrency was a day to day. And I saw it also in a 
from a perspective of starting in 2014, when people said, what do you do for work? And I'd be like, I used to say, oh, I work in the Bitcoin cryptocurrency space. Well, what is that? Oh, well, I, and then it gets simplified to, I work in fintech because it, people's eyes would glaze over. And then 2017 happened and people were like, you do? What do you do with that? Tell me more. And that was, that was where we were able, you know, there was more of a global, not adoption, but understanding of the terms. And so as a company, and really towards the end of 2017, and then mostly in 2018, we were, we were sitting there going, okay, we've got this offering. We've had it for a while. Um, you know, we're going through 2018 through regulatory climates, different things that we needed to kind of start to navigate. And it really came down to what, do, what do customers, first off, let's redefine who our customers are because they've changed drastically. They're not necessarily the techie people anymore. There's a, a whole new user group that actually needs more guidance. We could see that through customer support tickets, anecdotally talking to people in general, talking to our family and friends that now we're super excited. You know, you're the guy from kindergarten you haven't talked to in 15 years that just texts you because he saw that you work for a crypto company. Um, and, you start to have this, we started to have these conversations about, okay, well, what do our customers actually need? Because I think that whatever products that we, we've released right now, and two, as a startup, we were just releasing, every time we'd see there needed to be a solution, we'd be like, okay, we should just release this because we found the solution, we can do it, this, this, and this. And everything was kind of a, a desperate brands and um, offerings and then we decided, okay, everything needs to be under one roof and right now, Every company has all of these different services and they're all over the, over the place. And in order for a customer or a new user to actually be able to in-depthly put themselves into this ecosystem, they actually, in a lot of cases, have to use this wallet for, for one thing, this other wallet for another thing, this different this blockchain functions differently than that, so they're going to have to use this product. Um, you know, there's, there's just the barrier to entry for a customer right now. For someone who is not, you know, a high, high, highly technical person, it's a little bit of a jarring situation. And that's when people lose funds and they abandon it and they never want to come back because they don't know how to actually use this in a streamlined manner. So we are in the process of working on a new product that we're going to be releasing in the next few months into beta. And um, so we're going to start out with private beta, of course, our MVP version that allows a lot of these things to fit under one roof. And, and that and um, the whole concept is from, from that UX standpoint, making sure that we're getting it to the point where it is very usable for people. It's very streamless um, or it's a, you know, just a whole ex very streamlined um, way to exchange, to store, to um, look at your data, to keep up with information, to educate. So um, I'm teasing it a bit. I'm pretty much defining it, but we'll have more information about that in coming months and allow people to sign up for private beta and then um, continue to sign up and get into when it goes public. You know, this kind of goes back a little bit to the, you know, the idea of storytelling as well as with um, something I've been, you know, kind of harping on and passionate about is the, the idea of better UX and UI uh, is that, you know, with, with, like we, like I was saying with the storytelling, you know, there was, there's a segment and it's kind of the reason I got into it, right. was kind of the, the libertarian ideals, right. And what Bitcoin represented and that what I think a lot of people who came in during that time, uh, and, and are very passionate about Bitcoin, but don't really understand that 
that how important that UX and and that storytelling is, is that mm-hmm. what Bitcoin offers is that you don't even have to be passionate about you know the idea of of um, you know ending the you know the, the the destructiveness of of you know fiat currencies and what they do to the economies of the world. Like Bitcoin, if you if you make it where it's easier for people to use it. Uh, to get into that and and do it, then they're already de facto part of that movement. It doesn't matter why they mm-hmm. joined in the end. I mean, the the network effects are going to be the same if you joined for political or for for a political bent, or if you joined just because it was easier than anything else. And we kind of talked a little bit yep. earlier yep. about that. Is that I think UX is one of the things. It is so difficult even now. There's I mean, there's some newer, you know, there's some you know, really easy, you know, wallets and stuff like that, that are out there. But without, um, it's still very difficult for the average person. And I think it's going to be a generational thing as well, probably. But, you know, this, uh, this idea of, you know, we have this long string of characters and that's your wallet address. And this is your, you know, public address and that's your private key. Never share your private key. You want to hold that. I mean, like it, it, the beautiful thing, and I I agree totally with people uh, of, that have the mindset that everybody should, you know, have their own private keys and keep control of them and, you know, never use, you know, hot wallets or what, you know, whatever. Like, I understand the reasoning behind that. And in a perfect world, yes, everybody would have a, you know, a hardware or a paper wallet and, and run everything off that. But that's that's not how it's going to be. It's not how it's ever going yeah. to be. So you can either accept that. Uh, and and try to design something that's better for people, for the average person to use, because in the end, if they want to, you know, they can always take their funds and and make them more secure anytime they want to. But if you don't have any options yeah. for the large part of the funnel at the top, kind of you know, like for for when you're trying to get opt-ins and all that for marketing, that large part of the funnel, you've got to you've got to make it in a way easier for them to do the right thing. Um, and that's the way that you get people to do the right thing. It's just, you make it so simple. That's kind of their default, you know, chosen position. Yeah. And, you know, from, from my standpoint, you know, we, we, um, there's the whole concept of mental modeling within UX, which is essentially you can't hit people with a new tech in the head if they have no context on how to use it and they, if, if, if it's nothing close to something that they currently use. So I think, you know, coin is as much as sometimes people kind of rag on, on um, Coinbase, they've perfected that quite a bit. You know, they're, they're a very big, powerful company for a reason. And most people, when you talk to new people that understand crypto or have a little bit, but they're like very new, they're like, oh, I have a Coinbase account. And they have no concept of, you know, how you should be storing funds differently, because that is what they're used to. They're used to having bank accounts. You know, they're, they're used to having this, this place that they, you know, inherently, they're used to trusting it, they have no reason to not trust it. And it stores, it does all the things for them. It's very beautiful. It's easy to use. It's intuitive. That's why they use that. And so really, you know, that this is the, the first big, this is the beginning of that mental modeling for our larger widespread adoption customer base is that we have to figure out how do they currently function with their financial offerings that they use. And we need to somehow duplicate that for them within this ecosystem. And then, then they're going to learn more. Then they'll get engaged. Then they fall into the rabbit hole. And as they learn more, 
we can then start to change our offerings to provide them more of that security and those offerings that we wish that they could understand from day one, but they're not going to. They're not going to want to. They don't care about that. We we can start to work with them from a like marketing. This is going back why marketing is important. Content marketing to me is crucial. And it's not something that many companies have been able to really dial in or really prioritize. It's something that's been very important to me for a while. And we have actual content team now that we're working on a bunch of stuff we're going to be releasing um, over the course of this year and next. But that is another layer of this that's been kind of missing within the industry. I remember sitting down the, the week I met Eric, I, he wanted, he offered me the job and I said, can you give me a week to sit down and learn? And I, for a whole week, I had a bunch of clients because I was freelancing. I paused all my, all of my contracts and I dug in because it was a hard thing to learn the ins and outs of anything. And and there was just a bunch of information that wasn't consistent and you could go to YouTube for some stuff. I even tried to set a mining computer or a mining rig up on my Mac because the things I was seeing made it seem like that was like an easy thing to do and was normal. And then I still laugh at the fact that I tried to do that, but it was because there, there wasn't like a ton of like, you know, information about like what's realistic and what's not. So I think that we we can help the customer along that 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 journey, but they're not going to get it today. They're going to get it over the course of time, and we have to build our products in that manner where it's stages, and it's iterate it's iterative stages of how we help our customer down that pipeline, so that these things that we wish they would understand about like storage and and all of that, um, they're not going to get today, but they might get it in five or 10 years from now. And we will just evolve our products in that manner. And that's how we create success for ourselves. Now, you know, 2017, like you said, was, was a crazy year. 2018, um, was, was a, yeah, a tough year for, for a lot of people. And, um, although I think it's good as well, um, to, to kind of have, I don't want to call it wheat and chaff because that's just, a, it's kind of, um, little bit a little bit of a harsh sort of thing but i think that there was a lot of stuff that did need to kind of get shaken off um from from 2017 Mm -hmm. but you know now that we're you know into the first month of 2019 which is kind of crazy already uh what you know what are the the themes that you you think that we're going to be seeing in in 2019 not necessarily anything like price wise but just kind of you know what do you think is going to be the the big big stories roughly of 2019 Gosh, I, I hope more on the building side. Um, I think, you know, the thing with 2017 and it bled mostly into 2018 was there there were there were scams. We can't pretend like that didn't happen. There was a lot of that and there wasn't a lot of protection for customers and um, and knowledge. Because again, going back to the amount of knowledge you have to learn to really understand this industry, there were a lot of people who were like, oh, I can make a lot of money. Um, I'm going to invest in this ICO and this one, this and this, and then some of them were scams and some of them weren't. And then there wasn't a lot, there wasn't a lot of information to kind of figure out how you navigate that. So that was why 2017 got so crazy. Um, and then 2018 was like all of a sudden, you know, okay, well, what, what are those customer protections that are put into place? And every company had to navigate that in certain ways in, in, a, in a way that, you know, all of us are always going to have to be aware of the regulatory climate we live in, especially when we're in a financial sector. That is, that is just part of it. Um, but it wasn't, there was no definition. There was no definition of things. So 
we all started to, as an entire industry, have to navigate the, the definition of compliancy and the, you know, that environment was just, it wasn't defined well enough. So that was a very hard year of just saying, okay, we all have these products, we all have these offerings, but what can we do and what can we not do? Where can we serve our customers? How do we do it? You know, there's a million questions we're trying to answer. And I think it crippled a lot of companies. It re- and some of those companies were crippled to the point where they just had to close their doors. So, and then other companies were just like, uh, I didn't know I was going to have to do all these things. That's a lot of work. Okay, well, let's, let's pretend this never happened. And they, they closed out. And so what got left behind um, was a battered but excited group of individuals that are like, all right let's do this. Let's build these products because we care about it. And we're going to do the things we need to do to make sure that we can move forward with um, products and innovate and be part of this ecosystem. So we did lose a lot of, um, for, you know, lack of a better term and to still try to be somewhat um, gentle in this, a lot of riffraff. I think that there were there were companies that didn't have the best intentions in mind ideologically weren't doing things for any reason other than try to make some money. Some of them making a quick buck, which really demonized our industry. And that was unfortunate. Um, So those people, I'm glad they're gone. And I think that 2019, and I think we all feel this, I've had lots of conversations with our employees and my friends within the industry is this is our next year to build. It's, It's quieter. It's going to be a little bit bit more of a time that we can be reflective of last year, but not have to like be so reflective that it's like still something that is making it hard for us to move forward. We're now all moving forward. Everyone's getting, everyone I've talked to is like, yeah, we've like really retold ourselves. We've realized we're real businesses now. And and what that means is we have to like really get our teams engaged. We have to set really robust roadmaps and timelines and um, make sure that the products that we are pushing forward and offering could make an impact. And then you also see from the regulatory governmental standpoint, um, I think there was a period of time too from, from that standpoint is that there was a lot to learn for those people. And there was a lot of spinning of like, what is this? What was 2017? Because a lot happened there and we're trying to parse out what was good and what was bad. And so, you know, I even think most people I've talked to that are on the regulatory side or the governmental side, their knowledge of this um, is heightened. It's, it's, a, it's a lot more robust. And so they're not from fear, just like throwing stuff out there. They're able to have thoughtful conversations with company, um, you know, executives so they can understand better what we're trying to do. Um, so I think that will allow us to navigate moving forward with product offerings to a little bit more thoughtfully and cleanly um, instead of spinning our wheels. So I think this is going to be a year of, you know, and, and not it's, it's going to take, it's going to be more mid this year, late this year of um, going back to UX UI. You're going to have some better thought out just from a visual standpoint and a user experience standpoint products. Um, you're going to have products that have, teams that are a lot more solid and, um, and very timeline and uh, roadmap driven. They, they have focus. And I think by the end of this year, you're going to see some really cool, solid products coming out that can, apl- can apply, be applicable and usable by a larger um, audience. Now, 
with that comes scalability debates. I'm sure those things will come up at some point again. Um, you're going to see for like, you know, the different projects, like the foundation consistently, it's, you know, when are they going to move forward with these, this roadmap they, they've been trying to put in place? Um, there will be roadblocks. There's still going to be, you know, and I think another thing too, and our company just went through this, there will be layoffs. Um, I think, and that actually is a normal cycle within high tech. Um, so I, I think that there's going to be um, ups and downs with the news that comes out, but I think that is also going to be the world we all live in in this industry for probably the next decade because this is high tech. It's new emerging. Um, we don't even know what it's going to look like. I, I get excited thinking about, I wish I could go forward five, 10 years and actually see what products exist and what, what our users actually see as valuable here and what can they use. You know, my, my favorite thing, I guess, uh, to, to another 2017 anecdote is that uh, at least now that that's over, I don't have any more uh, uh, Ty Lopez pre-rolls on my YouTube. So I get to uh, avoid that yeah. now. Uh, but, yeah. but uh, you know, the, the last question I wanted to ask you was completely uh, not, not really Bitcoin related at all. But this space, you know, can be pretty stressful, especially over the last 14 months. And, and you've been in even longer. So what do you personally do to kind of stay, you know, centered, more mindful? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. It, it, you know, it changes a lot. I've always been, um, you know, I, I'm a big runner. And, uh, you know, especially living in Colorado, I have the pleasure of being in a very beautiful place that allows me to get outside and really just, you know, decompress from the tech a little bit. I think it's really important. It's important to actually take time for yourself and re mentally realign. It's very easy to get to the point where like every moment of your day, and I talk Taylor Monahan from my crypto and I were um, sparring on Twitter about this a few months ago. How many podcasts do you listen to a day? When do you intake this? Is it on your runs? Is it at the gym? Is it when you're just walking? Is it when you're laying in bed going to sleep at night? And kind of laughing about the fact that like this is we we always feel like we need to be intaking more information so we can keep up to speed with things, not just within crypto, but tech, um, marketing changes, you know, all these things that we're we're all trying to to intake all the time. And then at some point you have to go, I just need silence. I just need to intake my environment. And I'm, you know, I actually uh, in my past life, when I was living in Telluride, I had gotten, I grew up playing um, instruments and had put that off for a few years. And then I started playing in this little folk duo with my best friend, um, Emily Scott Robinson. You should go look her up. She's awesome. Um, but she, um, I played music and that was, that was something that was very impactful and important for my life. And so I've been trying to get back into that because I realized how much I miss it and how much of a different creative outlet it is for me. So Doing that has been important, um, you know, getting out into the mountains and just exploring, spending time with my family also, reminding myself that, uh, you know, that those people are, are my support system too, day in and day out. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that I, I try to do and, and try to decompress on the weekends. But honestly, too, I do love, um, you know, I'll, I'll find like Andreas Antonopoulos, you know, he has a, a series of all those books. I like to read them. 
and get a paperback copy and just take notes and go outside and sit in a park and do that so that I'm not having to do it online or connect that way just to have a complete different um, way to reset my brain where I'm still in taking the information, but I don't have to be connected to my computer or my phone or, or what else for just even if it's an hour. Um, so that's been incredibly helpful for me. Well, I have to say I'm, I am quite jealous. I, I uh, Since uh, we've moved to the Midwest, I have a deep yearning for the mountains again. Uh, I grew up with them and it's, it's just, uh, um, I always find it very calming, especially being able like, you know, I'm sure that you do this as well. You know, once you get up into the mountains and you kind of get over that ridge line um, away from the town, it's like you're in a completely mm-hmm. different century. You know, it's quiet. And it's, oh it's gosh, just yeah. the most peaceful place I've ever been in my life is once you get up over that ridge on oh, over the other side and, and it, it's almost like you're transported back to, you know, to 1400 or whatever, you know, there's, there's no, there's no civilization. It's just you nature. And uh, it's, I find it's harder to do without mountains. So I, I will have to say I'm, I'm kind of jealous. We'll come out and visit. We we're, yeah, no, it, we'd love to host you. I'd like to, to thank you for coming on the show. Um, and especially since I kind of try to do these in the evenings, um, I know it can be, uh, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of, of a pain to try to carve out, you know, after you've been at work all day to then, you know, uh, spend your evening time um, talking about what you were doing at work all day. So I really do appreciate that. But where uh, where can people follow you and get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can head on over to Twitter. We've got um, Shapeshift underscore IO. Or my own Twitter account is Emily E. Coleman. Uh, and then we also host uh, Instagram Live every single week on our Instagram account, which is really fun kind of way to get to see shapeshift culture and things we're doing. We do a lot of international traveling, so we try to um, keep people in the loop when we're at different conferences and events. Uh, and that is also shapeshift underscore IO on Instagram. Um, we all are also releasing a film series at the end of February, uh, this is 2019. Uh, called Down the Rabbit Hole, featuring some profiles of different people within the, the the industry telling their stories from kind of their background, their childhoods moving forward. Um, we're going to be doing a lot more featuring on all of those social media accounts um, as we are starting to roll out that series here in the next few weeks. So you can find a lot of our fun um, kind of content driven um, on the marketing side, our messaging, storytelling. We're also going to be launching a rebrand, so that'll also be out there. So check it out on all those channels. And I'll have links to all those social media profiles as well as the books that you mentioned and the film series, the trailer for it that, uh, that you just mentioned as well. And uh, Emily, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. 